This morning's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 1, starting in the fifth verse. During the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God, blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant, and they were both very old. An angel from the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. of our Advent series, Light of the World. Several groups um, in our church are studying Amy Jo Levine's book by the same name. And for the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, I will highlight something from the week's reading that stood out to me. There is a lot of information in these chapters, and um, so I won't be able to go through everything or we will not leave. Um, And so um, I encourage you, if you would like to, you can pick up a book um, still and you can read through um, or you can still join a group. Amy Jo Levine is a professor of New Testament and Jewish studies at Vanderbilt Divinity School and College of Arts and Sciences. She's an internationally renowned scholar and teacher and the author of many books. But I think what's most interesting about Amy Jo Levine is that she herself is Jewish. And as she has a great passion for exploring and teaching the stories of Jesus and the early church that are found in the New Testament. I chose this study for Advent because the Christmas story, for many of us, um, we've heard it over and over and over again. And because of this, we think we know all there is to know, or we might even get bored with this same old story year after year. But Amy Jill shows that comprehending this Jewish context in which these stories were written and and lived enriches our understanding and it brings them a new life. And if we look closely, and if we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, then we will always see something new and hear new messages in these ancient stories. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. Enable us to be receptive to your message this morning and challenge us to live more fully for you than we ever have before. Through the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. For Russ and I, naming our children was a very serious task. A name is something that identifies us. It points to who we are and where we've come from. We not only wanted to choose names for our children that we loved, because we would be saying them a lot, 
But we wanted to use family names to give our children a connection to where they had come from and and who they could be. And our heritages, his Indian and mine Dutch, made it interesting because we had a lot of names to choose from. Now with Joseph, it was easy. We both really liked the name Joseph. And Joseph was my maternal grandfather, a strong, big-hearted farmer who loved his family. He was the salt-of-earth kind of man. And Joseph's middle name is Kumar, which means prince in Hindi. And it's the middle name of Russ and Russ's brother and his dad and all of his uncles. All of the men in Russ's family have the middle name Kumar. That was easy. But Corey, on the other hand, was a little more difficult. We wanted, again, to choose a name that reflected both of our families, but I was very reluctant to give her an Indian first name in case she ended up with blonde hair and blue eyes. And I'm glad I followed my gut on that one. After much deliberation, I think we came up with a beautiful and a strong and a meaningful name Cornelia Saroj. Cornelia, Cory, was my Oma, my grandma. Oma was a strong woman from Holland who married my papa, a a World War II soldier, and came to the U.S. after the war knowing very little English, not knowing how to cook, and not knowing anyone other than her husband. She was fun, She had a beautiful singing voice, and she would dance and sing silly songs with us while making a very nutritious lunch of a windmill cookie and white bread sandwiches. Saroj is Russ's daddy, or grandmother. Saroj is regal. She looks like an Indian queen. She's certain in her faith and committed to living a life in God. She's gentle and caring. Cuddling with her makes you feel calm and wrapped in God's unconditional love. These two women, strong-willed, wise, and intensely spiritual women, are individuals that we wanted our daughter to be identified with. We wanted her to see these women as her role models. In today's scripture, we see Zechariah and Elizabeth, an elderly couple who the scripture tells us were righteous before God and blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. Zechariah was a priest, and while he was in the sanctuary burning incense, the angel Gabriel came to him and told him that although he and Elizabeth were very old, they were going to have a son. The angel announces to Zechariah, you must name him John. John was a common name at the time. In the New Testament, we see three other Johns, including John, the brother of James, and John, the author of the book of Revelation. And in Hebrew, Yohanan means God is gracious. But John wasn't a family name. It was the custom at the time to name the child after the father. So after this child was born, when it came time to name him, that was the plan, to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth, in that moment, insisted, no, his name will be John. 
the friends and the relatives that were there that day with them, they didn't accept this from her. And so they looked to Zechariah, and he confirmed, yes, on a tablet he wrote, his name is John. A new time and a new practice begins when Elizabeth insists on naming her son this miracle, John. Names in the Bible and in Jewish culture are seeped with meaning. Zechariah means God remembers. And the name Elizabeth means God keeps promises. And as Amy Jo Levine points out, when we say God keeps promises, we are also saying God remembers. God remembered Elizabeth and Zechariah in their old age. God remembered their righteousness, the way that they lived with justice in their lives. And God used them as an integral part of God's story. Zechariah and Elizabeth were also from priestly families. And in Judaism, priesthood isn't a vocation that one enters into, but it's a matter of paternal descent. So that means that like Zechariah, like him, Zechariah's father and grandfather and great-grandfather were all priests, which also meant that his, his son should have been a priest. But beginning with this name of John, we see that things are going to be different with him. He didn't follow his father into temple service, but rather he found another way of serving the community. John would be a prophet, the teller of truths. He would go before the Lord to prepare the Lord's way. When Luke described John in this way, he was bringing forward Isaiah's prophecy from Jewish scripture. But as Amy Jill Levine points out, in this context, that old scripture has new meaning. The Lord is Jesus of Nazareth, and the way to be prepared isn't a road, but it's this new movement that called itself not Christian at the time, but followers of the way. There's a sense of movement and of action within that name, followers of the way the people who will follow John and then follow Jesus will be known by walking the walk. Or as John says later in the Gospel of Luke, they will produce fruit that shows that they have changed their hearts and their lives. The names that we use to describe ourselves matter. They show our beliefs and our values. They are embedded with deep meaning, and they help us define who we are. When the name Christian was first created, it wasn't created by Jesus, but it was created in Antioch, and it was done so because this group of Jesus followers didn't divide themselves like the rest of culture. This new name of Christian came about to describe this group of people that was radically inclusive. They included individuals from all of the different groups in society, Jews and Gentiles alike. They broke down all of those established barriers, and they created their own new group, those who were connected together by their love for and devotion to Jesus. So the Christian, it started in a good and rightful place. 
But we know all too well that names can also have negative connotations. The name Christian has become a name that is just as often associated with human judgment and hatred and hypocrisy as it is with grace and peace and connection to God. And everything in between those two extremes. So what do you mean when you say the name Christian to describe yourself? Or do you, do you use that name? Or do you use another name to describe yourself? Cornelia Saroj, she will grow up to be whoever God has created her to be. I can already see glimpses of her great-grandmothers in her. She sings and she dances constantly, like the first Cornelia. And she gives phenomenal cuddles, like the first Saroj. But she has her own style and her own opinion, and she will choose what qualities of these amazing women that she wants to emulate. And she will bring in new qualities and she will make Cornelia Saroj her own name. So with the name Christian, we have the same choice. We get to choose what it means for us. We get to take it back from all of those negative connotations. For me, being a Christian means that I will feed the hungry. I will comfort the afflicted. I will love the outcast. I will forgive the wrongdoer, and I will inspire the hopeless. As a Christian, I believe that this table that we are at this morning, to partake in holy communion, this is the Lord's table. That we each come to this table broken and hurting, but we leave this table whole and with a balm for our soul. This is God's table. This unites us. It is radically inclusive, like those first Christians. When you come to this table, know that you are welcome, no matter what you have done. You are welcome, no matter how you might feel. You are welcome not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. You are Christ. And today, we take a moment and we confess our sins because we have those things that lay heavy on our hearts. We have those things that separate us from God and keep us from being united with God fully. And so we confess those things to God so that we might make room for God within us. And I invite you to, up on the screen, there will be a confession and a pardon, or you might um, also turn to page 12 in the hymnal, and you can find it there, and we will confess to one another, and we will, we will pardon one another, and we will recognize that God forgives us no matter what. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. 
We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.